Hi, this is Brandon. Welcome to the Crucible of Thought podcast. I'm here to share things that interest me and things I think the Lord has brought to my attention. And today's episode is titled, How I Learned Empathy. A few days back, I ran across some articles talking about, quote, the sin of empathy, unquote, which note a number of evangelical personalities that are now calling empathy a sin and advocating that sympathy is the only scripturally appropriate way to deal with other people's difficulties. Wow. Okay. After my initial incredulous response, I realized that perhaps this was exactly representative of something that I've been concerned about for a year or so since the George Floyd incident and observing the various American church responses to it. And more than that, it's related to my own testimony of empathy, or more importantly, my former extreme lack of empathy. The empathy and sin issue took on some greater clarity for me when I listened to a recent episode of the Holy Post podcast titled Buckets of Evangelicals, which contained an interview with David French. He's a constitutional attorney and a graduate of Harvard Law School, a senior fellow at the National Review Institute, a senior editor for The Dispatch, a columnist for Time, and the author of Rise of Isis, A Threat We Can't Ignore, and other books. And he's an evangelical Christian. David and Sky Jathani, the podcast host, spoke at some length about reactions to their discussion of this sin of empathy trend about 34 minutes into the video copy of the interview. David noted the wide split in opinions in response to a previous video talking about empathy for COVID victims who'd refused vaccination. In his comments, David and Sky noted that empathy is often confined to one's own tribe and is somewhat selective. David also noted that many who believe that empathy is sinful consider it to be excusing the actions that cause the consequences which are mourned by someone, and they consider empathy to be diametrically opposed to justice. It's an attack on truth. However, as David says, true empathy doesn't excuse any sin or weakness that puts someone into their painful situation, and empathy is in no way opposed to justice. Instead, it's opposed to cruelty. It's not selective. It's not limited to those like us. And it's honestly not even limited to those who are obeying the Lord. In perhaps the most compelling comment that Sky made, it's like the church has an autoimmune disease, and the very thing that we need in this moment, the very thing that should give us power and credibility as the people of Christ, is our empathy. And here there are sections, at least the evangelical church, who are eating that empathy up and saying, no, we have to destroy it. How do we fight an autoimmune disease in the church when it's telling us the very thing we need to survive in this moment is what's killing us? As David French went on to say, truth can't solve everything. Sometimes you just need to sit with someone as they suffer, even if it's natural consequences. And he notes that truth isn't included in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. I really resonated with that last thought. I think the Lord understood us pretty well. We don't need to be told to pursue truth because too many people are pretty good at weaponizing it already. But we did need to be reminded to be empathetic and that we needed the helper to bring empathy to us. So that was what they discussed in the podcast. I can't really say it as well as they did, so I encourage you to go listen to that episode for an even better communication of those ideas. And I've included a link in my blog post. But I want to go a bit beyond those thoughts with a story of my own, and actually it's more of a testimony than just a story. Two and a half years ago, I made a handful of personal mistakes in short succession that deeply hurt and offended two people that I love very dearly. 
I won't share all the details here, but if you know me personally, I'll be happy to share the full story with you over lunch. So I was appropriately confronted by my pastor, and as part of the process of restoration, I spent six months meeting with a wonderful Christian counselor. What I discovered in a nutshell was that I'd pretty much spent my entire adult life with a rather broken empathetic ability. I simply had little ability to predict or understand how my personal actions would affect others around me. Over the course of the counseling, the Lord healed dozens of decades-old wounds in my heart and soul, areas where I'd built walls around my emotions and refused to let myself be impacted by what happened to me. I hadn't even been able to notice what was impacting those around me, whether it was something I did to them or something that happened to them from some other source. So I came out of this time of deep inner healing and a suddenly flowering empathy straight into the middle of our national response to George Floyd's death. What shocked me was that I found myself able for the first time ever to understand the national outcry of black people from a deep emotional level. And it really had nothing to do with an intellectual ascent of their pain or any agreement with their agenda or calls for change. Instead, I actually felt their pain. And yet my mind and my personal emotional habits and all my past intellectual training told me to reject that pain as invalid and harmful. But in hearing the stories of my black friends, the cries for change and relief suddenly rang true to my new awareness, and they deeply and permanently affected my heart and my mind. Well, this rocked my world. I became aware of how people were being affected by our nation's power structures and our laws and our social choices, not just financially or politically affected, but also emotionally and spiritually affected. I realized what certain parts of our church culture were doing to them. And as I heard dozens of their personal stories for the first time, I was forced to confront my own political history and my carefully curated positions of standing for truth and the rule of law above all the other concerns. What was most convicting to me was this. At the core of my own choices was really a studied rejection of any consideration for how people were being personally affected by the policies that I'd pursued and for which I'd steadfastly voted. So, for the last 18 months or so, I've been thinking really hard about what the Lord did in my heart and my mind. I have literally zero doubt that what he did was healing and it was restoration, and that he intentionally positioned me to be able to hear that cry for justice, not intellectually, but through his eyes of observing the pain of his children's oppression. So how sweet those moments this past year when the Lord opened my eyes time after time to see his children through his eyes and with his heart. And honestly, more than that, how sweet to finally see my own childhood through his eyes. I saw those suffering today and even those in my past who'd brutally bullied me as a child with new awareness. I even found myself weeping on behalf of my tormentors as he showed me what they were going through at that time and how their attacks on me were all that they were capable of doing to survive. He literally showed me how my pain was basically a small payment of his grace to them. I found myself so grateful for his allowing them to survive their own challenges and oppression. I realized that I'd been, kind of as it were, an offering of a therapeutic outlet for their fear and their grief and their rage. And in those moments of new insight, I fully, and with much weeping, accepted that small momentary price of torment on their behalf. I even accepted, well, more than that, I rejoiced 
in the years of being emotionally broken that resulted because of the testimony that the Lord was building in me for today. I'm convinced beyond doubt that what he allowed me to suffer prepared me to be who he's calling me to be today and tomorrow. This probably sounds deeply strange to you that I could rejoice in my past pain and suffering and even in being asked to suffer on behalf of someone else. But joy in this context isn't pleasure, but instead, like C.S. Lewis said in his book Surprised by Joy, there lies in our hearts a longing that is also a delight, a longing that nothing in this world can satisfy and a delight that nothing in this world can match. There's a deep longing in me to fulfill the Lord's purposes and those around me and to be useful for his purposes. So to find that my pain was able to act as a salve in their painful circumstances and also to ultimately refine me for my holy purpose, that gives me delight and joy instead of sorrow. So in light of my own experience, I find this sudden drive to call empathy sinful, to really be very personally offensive. I spent a year being directly transformed by the Lord in exactly the area of empathy and discovering the utter truth that empathy is precisely at the heart of the Lord's call for justice in every part of the Bible. And it offends me that someone would call what the Lord graciously rebuilt in me to be sinful. And frankly, I find the entire premise to be deeply misrepresentative of the Lord himself. We know from both the prophetic and historic scriptures about Jesus that he was deeply empathetic. He wept with and for those mourning Lazarus, even when he knew that he'd raise him up again moments later, in John 11.35. Paul wrote, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, in Hebrews 4.15, or as it's translated by the King James, who cannot be touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. In numerous stories, Jesus was moved to compassion, which is defined as empathy that's moved to action. Jesus saw the widow whose son had just died, and he felt compassion for her in Luke 7.13. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd in Matthew 9.36. Even in the Old Testament, in all of their affliction, he was afflicted in Isaiah 63.9. He will again have compassion on us in Micah 7.19. The Lord himself said, I have had a change of heart. My compassion is stirred in Hosea 11.8. Or he who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. Isaiah 49.10. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Isaiah 49.13. And God describes himself as El Rakum, the compassionate one, in Deuteronomy 4.31. Many who claim empathy is bad, but sympathy is good, because of the specific Greek word that's used in Hebrews 4.15, would do well to consider the various definitions in Psychology Today's 2015 article titled, Empathy versus Sympathy. Go look it up. So let me close with an appeal. Paul wrote, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep, in Romans 12.15. But he wrote that without any instructions about what constitutes an acceptable reason to weep. Can it possibly be that only circumstances where we approve of their reasons to weep? I don't see any such limit in that scripture. I used to believe that justice and the rule of law were supreme, even above grace and sympathy and empathy and compassion. After all, God was the Lord of the universe, the very original rule giver. 
but I was always somewhat frightened of inviting the Lord to show me his heart for the hurting and the oppressed. More than just that, I was unwilling to ask whether my judgments of whether they deserved that oppression were truly just and right. In retrospect, as a New Testament believer, I find that I was applying Old Testament judgment to those that I didn't consider worthy. I was being their accuser and their judge, and that was not my right. So my appeal to you is this. Invite him to let you see the hurting ones with his eyes, not just those in your tribe, but also those who are utterly alien to you. Don't make the mistake I made for decades of blinding yourself to their pain. And don't let your wounds cause you to miss his purpose in allowing those wounds. Be blessed, and we'll talk again soon.